You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now looking at salt. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Lesson 9. We begin with a brief recap of the previous study on Blessed Are the Peacemakers. We saw that peacemaking is active, not passive. It's never justified to withdraw from people uh, and not care about what's happening in the world. Peacemakers are bridge builders as well. Yet peace is not the ultimate goal. We are to live in peace with all people as far as it is possible. But sometimes it isn't. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew 10 that he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. To be peacemakers ourselves, we need to be a certain kind of person, not one who insists on his own way or insists that others have to come around to his exact view. And we do our best to work through disagreement without acrimony. And Jesus speaks of this, of course, in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, where others may have sinned against us, brothers or sisters, and also later on in Matthew 5, verses 25 and 26, when we may have a niggling reminder as we're about to worship that someone has something against us and we take the initiative. So being a peacemaker is not easy, but it's something that Jesus commanded and he exemplified. Well, this brings us to the eighth and final beatitude, the one on persecution. This is often considered a double beatitude, as you'll see. For me, it's also the final message I'm giving this year because it's the last day of the year and I'm in our apartment in Edinburgh. Well, here is the text longer because it includes uh, both parts of the beatitude, the double beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men speak abusively of you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are a number of terms that we will uh, focus on. Uh, The terms are blessed, uh, persecuted, uh, righteousness sake, kingdom of heaven, uh, speak abusively, reward and prophets. So I've got a lot to share here. You know, that uh, by the second century AD, uh, to be a Christian was a capital offense. And one of the early Christians, who I'll cite a couple of times, uh, Tertullian, this is at the end of the second century, he writes, you put Christians on crosses and stakes. We are cast to the wild beasts. We are burned in the flames. We are condemned to the mines. We are banished to the islands. Wow. This is real persecution. Another early writer, Lactantius, says, they torture, put to death, and banish worshipers of the Most High God, that is, the righteous. Yet those who hate us so vehemently are unable to give a reason for their hatred. And we know that the persecution was bad, particularly in the second century, throughout the third century, and even the early fourth century. So why would they be blessed? Why would Jesus say you're blessed if you're persecuted? The world may consider us to be losers, but in fact, those who follow the Christ are on the winning side. Remember the introductory scripture 
Isaiah 61, which lies back of many of these Beatitudes. Let me read one verse, verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. See, we may be considered losers. We may be excluded now, but a reversal is on the way. If not in this life, then surely in the next. And we're reminded that oppressors misuse their power. But ultimately, uh, the real power is what lies with the king of kings, not just an earthly king. So ultimately, ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed for those reasons. And yet the reason must be what Jesus indicated. We're not blessed just because we say we are or because we're uh, believing in something that is wild or eccentric and everyone opposes it. We're not blessed just because we're persecuted. Maybe we're following a false religion or we're wicked in our lives. So it needs to be for the kingdom of heaven. That's how we're blessed. That's why we're blessed. When we're persecuted for righteousness sake, right, with God in mind, not just a human religion. And that kingdom of heaven uh, is not talking about heaven exclusively. It's the way that Jewish people would typically uh, say the kingdom of God. So in Mark and Luke, that phrase is common. But in Matthew, over 50 times, we read about the kingdom of heaven which includes heaven and earth, it's past, present, and future. It is the realm of the true king. All right, then in the middle verse of our three verses, we read about uh, words. Blessed are you when men speak abusively of you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you for my sake. So again, it's because of Jesus. It's not just, I mean, everyone is um, ridiculed, gossiped about, slandered, verbally abused. I mean, that's a common experience for everyone in the world. But this needs to be for Jesus' sake. So we're not blessed if we simply equate opinion matters or political positions with Christianity. Well, how were the early Christians uh, misrepresented? How were they verbally abused? The three most common false accusations were that they were cannibals, and they committed incest, and that they were atheists. And you might think, well, how can that be? Well, um, incest, because brothers married sisters. Brothers in the Lord, of course, married sisters in the Lord. Cannibalism, because they took Jesus' flesh and ate it. And in the early centuries, non-Christians were not allowed to be part of the communion meal. They were dismissed from the service if they were attending as guests, and this went on behind closed doors. They're eating the flesh of God's son. So that was another slander that they ate babies. And that they were atheists because they denied the reality of the gods. They were atheists. They, it wasn't just that they didn't believe uh, that Zeus and Aphrodite were real. They did not take part in the civic observances. They did not give the sacrifices that were expected. And so they were pushing themselves a bit outside um, the center of society and what was expected of citizens. So uh, the Christians were, in a way, great citizens, very supportive, and they prayed for their leaders, but they didn't take part in um, all of these religious and political festivals, and so they were called atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. Well, um, one more quote from our friend Tertullian. This is at the end of the second century, and he's rebuking the Romans. Listen to this. Monsters of wickedness. We are accused of observing a holy rite in which we kill a little child and then eat him. 
It is said that after the feast, we practice incest. This is what is constantly laid to our charge, yet you take no pains to investigate the truth of what we've been accused of for so long. So for a long time, that was what the Romans were saying about the Christians. Clearly false, but there was very little um, effort to follow up and find out what was true. Well, perhaps you've never been accused of eating babies or committing incest, but there are many ways that we as Christians in modern times are misrepresented. And this would apply uh, even in Western society where there's a higher degree of religious freedom than where most believers in the world are, which has limited or no religious freedom. Here, here are the ones I came, I came up with six. They say that we're arrogant, cultic, homophobic, judgmental, prudish, and unpatriotic. <laughs> okay, arrogant. Now, you Christians think only you're right. You know, you're sharing your faith, trying to ram it down my throat. Well, the truth is we're sharing God's word. It's good news. It's a cure anyone would welcome for the disease of sin. It's an opportunity. It's a message of the greatest importance. And the people, if people resist it and say we're wrong, well, then obviously they think that they're right. They think they're right in saying that we're wrong. So when people say you think you're right, well, of course, everyone thinks he's right. But we need to be open-minded and humble, not arrogant. Sharing the faith does not make us arrogant. Cultic. Your church expects more engagement than just showing up on Sunday. Well, good, because that's the way the first century body of Christ was. But it'll be such a stark contrast to most so-called churches today. Homophobic. You, your best friends could be gay. You could have gay family members. But if you think it's not in accord with God's will, you're homophobic. I'm not afraid. That's what phobia is, but that's a very common slander of Christians. Uh, we're judgmental. Even if all we do is take a stand where Jesus took a stand. We're prudish or puritanical because we believe what God says about sexual purity is true and should be followed. We're not patriotic because we refuse to kill people um, in warfare. But that doesn't mean we don't love our country. Uh Pacifists are also frequently accused of cowardice, but I think it's just the opposite. If everyone's jumping on the bandwagon and you're saying, no, I'm not going to kill, I'm going to bless my enemy, pray for him, uh, give to him, feed him, give him drink, uh, well, well, that actually takes tremendous courage. But those are some examples of being uh, um, slandered today. Well, in the last verse, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You know, the apostles exemplify this. They're persecuted. They leave the Sanhedrin, where they've been uh, persecuted, and they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name, Acts 5.41. So why should we be joyful if we're being slandered and persecuted? Well, Jesus says our reward in heaven is great. He also says we're... We're standing in line, uh, kind of in continuity with the prophets of old. Think of the prophets, Elijah, who I was reading about this morning, uh, John the Baptist, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets, or Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, because they persecuted the prophets because the prophets challenged the system. They challenged the powers. They challenged false prophets, and they challenged priests, false priests, those not following the Torah. They challenged even kings. How's your conviction? How's my conviction? Do we ever question or challenge the system? Do we even see the need for prophetic voices to bring the word of the Lord to the modern church? Mm. Well, before we say goodbye for today, 
I'd like to do a, a, a very quick summary of the eight Beatitudes. The world does not accept these Beatitudes. Some of them more than others. Some it rejects more than others. Poor in spirit? No, the world says we should please ourselves and be full of ourselves. <laughs> um, mourn? No, we should stay upbeat. And don't take sin so seriously, it's no big deal. Blessed are the meek? No, not in a world where power is exalted and the powerful get away with murder. Hungry? Thirsty for righteousness? The world says, yeah, it's okay to support a righteous cause. Maybe throw a little bit of money into the collection for cancer research, but you don't need to overdo it. We applaud it, but you don't really have to care about the rest of the world. Merciful? Well, there's kind of a selective mercy. You know, we, we, we care uh, if a storm, a disaster strikes our city. Yes, we may get involved in help, but, and, you know, because maybe 100 people have been displaced. But if the storm hits the other side of the world and you have a million people losing their homes and thousands dead, ah, we don't even care. Let's change the channel. Pure, pure in heart. Who's to say what counts as purity? Don't judge. That's how the world might respond. Being peacemakers? Yes, that's admired. But an even higher premium is placed on standing up for our rights. Persecuted? No. In the world, we seek approval. We would hate. We cringe at the thought of being considered fanatical or extreme. But Jesus says these qualities um, are marks of righteousness and that will help us to make it to the kingdom of heaven. So finally, leadership, as I suggested several talks ago, uh, would be so much improved if this were the checklist. I hate to use the word checklist, but we could view the Beatitudes as elements of a portrait of a godly man or woman, someone who will influence others for Christ. So think of those eight qualities. Uh, if you want to memorize this, um, P-M-M-H-M-P-P-P. That's how I do it. P for poor in spirit, M for mourn, M for meek, H for hunger, M for merciful, PPP, pure peacemaker, persecuted. And there are little tricks like that. And I think regardless of your age in Christ, it's good to push ourselves to learn more. Well, we're about one eighth of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And our next lesson, we'll be looking at salt. Thanks for hearing. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on the Sermon on the Mount. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.